Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah, happy Mother's Day to you. I uh, hope you've had a good chance this morning to tell your mom uh, Happy Mother's Day, or husbands, you've told your wife Happy Mother's Day. Um, I was a little late on the draw this morning, but it's okay. You made all is well. So, yes, um, get to see my mom this afternoon. Haven't seen her in about legitimately in about two months, even though they live locally. So looking forward to spending some time with my mom on this Mother's Day. So anyway, uh, it's good to see you or hear you or talk to you or spend this time in this virtual uh, context with you this morning. Um, how are you doing? How's your week been? Uh, looking forward to uh, moving forward and uh, getting back to a, a sense of normal anyway, as things kind of lift as far as the restrictions go as we're allowed to go out of our homes again and uh, step back into our god-given rights of freedom of movement and assembly uh, but um, uh, anyway i hope that uh, we do that wisely and, and safely pray that we reflect upon the lessons learned uh, during our time uh, in lockdown going through this pandemic experience i pray that we'd be uh, like i said wise but also gentle understanding um, of other people's concerns. Uh, in this, as in everything else, there's going to be uh, early adopters, mid-adopters, and late adopters of, of change. So uh, just be gracious with each other and be patient as we move forward, both as uh, individuals, as families, as a church, and as a community. So uh, yeah, so Christy, what's going on? Uh, well, <laughs> I think I've officially entered the phase of uh, stay-at-home Ness, where the days all blur together. I mean, that's been going on, but I've had a pretty good sense until this week of, of where I was uh, being marked by the weekends. But uh, this week, every single day felt the exact same. Um, and I don't know if it's because my big projects are all done and I didn't have that uh, every day waking up and being excited about the next part. I've got to find a new project, I think. But uh, uh, so I overslept and missed the women's Bible study on Saturday morning, the one that I was supposed to start. So uh, next week we will be continuing uh, our Bible study. That's just going to give us an extra week. We'll still do Hosea next week by um, Jennifer Rothschild. And so if you want to join us, the link is on the Facebook page. Uh, so that's Saturday mornings at 830. All right. Well, uh so just so you know, there's a lot of coming and going this morning. There's a good chance uh, you might hear from Teddy. He's got a, a bad case of the louds this morning. So he's uh, saying lots of things and saying them very loudly. So you might hear Teddy. We've got cats and dogs coming in and out of the room. So, you know, <laughs> like I've told you before, we're not in a studio. So uh, you get the real deal when you get the podcast from the Stoddard House. So uh, anyway, this week, what can we be praying for? Uh, let's be praying for wisdom. Let's be praying for wisdom as things begin to reopen. Let's pray for courage, courage to trust in God. And also let's be praying for discernment about the timing of what needs to happen and the opportunities as they come along. I pray that we'd be diligent in uh, connecting with each other, caring for each other as we move forward because a lot of things during the coronavirus shutdown were brought into intense focus. Things that needed to be done, things that va of value, things that uh, mattered to us. But largely, those things should matter to us all the time. And so um, I pray that we would learn the lessons of the lockdown and, and carry those with us as we move forward. So today is the fifth Sunday of Easter, and Christy has our gathering prayer. We have beheld your glory, O God, in the face of Christ Jesus, your Son. Enliven our faith, that through Christ we may put our trust in you. Deepen our faith, that in Christ we may serve you. Complete our faith, that one day we may live with you in that place which Christ prepares for us, where he lives with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. All right, uh, we're going to share communion together this morning, so if you need to, go ahead and press pause on the podcast and grab uh, some bread, grab some wine or juice, and uh, come back and join us here as we partake together in the Lord's Supper. So uh, this is a, always a special time. It's a little unique doing it on the podcast, but this is what identifies um, followers of Jesus both individually both and also in community, that when we do this as the body of Christ, we remember. 
we recall, we, we um, uh, step into that reality that it's through Christ's love, His broken body, His shed blood, that we've been uh, reconciled to God. It's through the, the, His lifeblood that we've been transferred from the kingdom of death and darkness into the kingdom of light and life. And so, uh, the Lord's Supper, even though it reminds us of a tragedy, of Christ's brutal death and on the cross, it's a time of celebration, oddly enough. And so there's that weird tension in there. But I think we, should need, we need to hold that intention, that this is a reminder, a symbol of that which brought us our greatest hope. And so this morning we're going to share communion together, and uh, I hope that you've got um, your your cup and your bread, and uh, we will share together. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Christy and I are. So uh, please join us. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. All right, well, I'm glad we got to share that together. Thanks for joining me this morning. All right. Okay, well, um, this morning we are continuing in our Behind the, Behind the Music series. This is uh, week number four. Week number four of our Behind the Music series. And the song this week may be a little more uh, obscure, not quite as popular. In fact, the uh, artist who gave us this song might be considered a one-hit wonder. But any red-blooded American should know this song. I think it was back in 1986 or so, mid-80s. Uh, the movie Rocky IV came out, and uh, if there's movies, there's like a short list of movies that every American, uh, it should be required viewing, like Red Dawn uh, and Rocky IV, those kind of movies. But anyway, there's a scene after Apollo Creed is, is, has died for, at the hands of uh, Ivan Drago, um, Rocky gets in his Ferrari and goes for a, a, a deeply introspective drive through the nighttime city, and uh, this song is what plays. So. You might know what I'm talking about even before I announce it, but this, this morning our song is No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper. Hey Alexa, play No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper. Here's No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper on Amazon Music. Yeah. 
I was doing some background study on that song yesterday just in research in preparation for today. Watched the scene from Rocky IV. I, I even went and watched the music video for that song. And let me tell you, so, so much awkward. If you get a chance to watch Robert Tepper's music video for No Easy Way Out, there is so much hair, so much pleated denim, overcoats. It's reminiscent of the warehouse dance scene from uh, Footloose. I mean, it's... it's I don't know. It's it's rough. Uh, it's it's very 1980s uh, for sure. But anyway, uh, yeah, and that's out there if you're interested. Anyway, behind the music, week four, no easy way out. Here's a synopsis of an excerpt of the lyrics from Robert Tepper's No Easy Way Out. We're not indestructible, baby. Better get that straight. I think it's unbelievable how you give in to the hands of fate. Some things are worth fighting for. Some feelings never die. I'm not asking for another chance, I just want to know why. There's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. There's no easy way out. Giving in can't be wrong. I don't want to pacify you. I don't want to drag you down. But I'm feeling like a prisoner, like a stranger in a no-name town. I see all the angry faces, afraid that could be you and me. Talking about what might have been, I'm thinking about what I, what I used to be. There's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. There's no easy way out. Given in can't be wrong. Robert Tepper, No Easy Way Out. The second half of May 2019, it was a rough time. If you remember about one year ago, May 2019, it was rough. It was filled with storms, with flooding, and with tornadoes. On May 22nd, the 8th anniversary of the massive F5 tornado that destroyed Joplin, Missouri in 2011, another tornado swept just north of the city and killed three people. Likewise, in Jefferson City, um, Jefferson City along with several other Missouri towns, uh, it was hit by a tornado causing widespread damage and several injuries. On May 20th alone, 24 tornadoes were reported in Texas and Oklahoma, while on May 21st, 33 tornadoes were, conform were confirmed in the states of Kansas and Missouri. Times like this are difficult for many reasons. I mean, we're, we're used to tornadoes around here, but we're not used to tornadoes, especially when they cause such destruction and death. So it's difficult. It's difficult when things like that happen, when times like that come our way, because we fear for our safety. We fear for our safety, and, and we are concerned. We're concerned for our friends and our family, but mostly, at the deepest levels, we feel at risk. We feel vulnerable, and worst of all, we feel powerless. We feel powerless 
in the face of tornadoes, of storms, of things that are just so far beyond our control. And when things get really bad, when our houses get blown apart, when our cars are swept away in floods, or someone's life is lost, we can really start to ask questions. And we can really start to question God. We, like, like Mary and Martha standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, we wonder, where was Jesus? Where was God? Where, where, where were you during this critical moment? And why weren't you willing to help out? Why, God, didn't you prevent this catastrophe? Why, Jesus, didn't you answer my prayers? Why did you not save lives? And to make matters worse, well-meaning people in our Christian culture bubble, they're always ready. They're always ready to help by providing pithy platitudes that really aren't biblical. Pithy platitudes that aren't biblical and can actually set people up for deeper hurt and deeper frustration. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been told in those dark and terrible moments that God will never give you more than you can handle? God will never give you more than you can handle. I guess what this means is that somehow God will only allow manageable challenges to come our way. Or that while we may be tested, ultimately because we believe in Jesus, we will never be overwhelmed. That regardless of the circumstances, a Christian will somehow always be able to pull themselves up by their spiritual bootstraps if they cling to their faith in Jesus. I mean, all this sounds good, right? But the problem is, doesn't it conversely imply that if, you're, if you are, in fact, at some point overcome that you're overcome by this terrible loss, that you're overcome and crushed by this grief, if you're unable to handle the suffering or handle the pain, you must be weak. Weak in your body, weak in your mind, or weak in your faith. Surely, you must be lacking in faith somehow, or you, would, or you have made God especially mad. And He is clearly punishing you. Otherwise, you would not be overwhelmed. There's got to be an explanation. I mean, read Job. Think about Job's friends sitting around Job, whose life has just been demolished by circumstances. Incredible, searing, overwhelming loss. And all of his friends are just desperate to offer some kind of order and solution to why this happened. Because clearly, if Job was in good standing with God, stuff like this would not happen. Now, I'm not sure where this idea comes from, and I'm not sure how this idea has gained such a long and terrible life. Perhaps, here's kind of an aside, but perhaps it's an ignorant extrapolation uh, of an actual biblical teaching that says, when we are tempted, that God will always provide a means of escape, that indeed we will never be overwhelmed by temptation. I think what's happening here in our common uh, vernacular or usage of Scripture is that we are confusing and we are conflating uh, temptation with difficulties. That we're, 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 we're getting those confused or we're acting like they're maybe the same thing. That, that uh, where the Bible says when we're tempted, there's always a way out. We somehow take that to mean, hey, when we face difficulty, there will always be a way out. We'll always be able to uh, get by or get through it without being overwhelmed. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's do a little study on that whole teaching about temptation and how God is faithful to always allow a route for escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. God is faithful. When you're tempted, He will provide a way for you to escape. A way out so that you can endure. Here the Apostle Paul is rightly pointing out that, like difficulties, temptations come our way. Temptations come into our lives and sin stalks us all. In this fallen world, because of um, our rebellion and because of the introduction of sin, it stalks us all. It's present in all of our lives. But 
in the midst of our temptations, Scripture tells us God is faithful. And what's more, He's faithful and He will always provide a way out. He will provide always in every circumstance an escape from that temptation. Although sin intends to overtake us, sin intends, temptation intends to overwhelm us, God, in His sovereignty and in His mercy and in His power, He keeps us from being overcome. He keeps us from being powerless in the face of temptation. And this is good news. Now think about it. Can you ever ever recall facing a temptation which in which you simply had no choice but to give in I, I what else could i do i was tempted and i had no choice but to give in can you think of a time when you battled that irresistible sin that even flummoxed god that god was like sheesh i don't know man what do you think you should do i i i got nothing here did you face a sin that flummoxed even god Probably not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go out on a limb here and say you probably have not. You see, the escape that God provides in the face of temptation, for me anyway, and I'm going to speak from my personal experience, in almost every case, it comes down to us. It comes down to me simply choosing to do one thing. It's to walk away. Simply choosing to walk away. The escape route, the, the, the path away out of temptation is always, almost in every case, that simple. Just walk away. Escaping temptation looks a lot like uh, unspectacular things. It looks a lot like closing the laptop. It means it looks like shutting your mouth. It looks like deciding against yourself and against your appetites and, and desires. It looks like choosing in this moment, on this day, to not to return. Not returning to that old habit one more time. Never once, guys, have, never once have I been truly trapped in that irresistible temptation. Oh, it feels like it sometimes in the midst of it, but in retrospect, or if I get some perspective on it, I've never been trapped in the face of an irresistible temptation insurmountable temptation. I think about uh, in Genesis chapter 4, after God had rejected Cain, Cain's sacrifice, which Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, after God had rejected Cain's sacrifice, Cain was fuming. He was so angry. He was nursing a hatred that had become focused on his brother named Abel. And as a result, Cain was plotting revenge. And God knew this, so God comes and He warns Cain. He says, hey, Cain, be careful here. Be careful because sin is hunting you down. Temptation is crouching outside your door. It is eager to tempt you. It is eager to control you. But here's what you must do. You must subdue it. You must be its master. This is key here. What God is telling Cain is, hey, I know you're angry. I know you feel these powerful tides of anger and, and temptation to get revenge inside of you. Here's what you must do. I'm not going to send an angel or a dove to land on you and give you some supernatural infusion of power. Here's what you must do. Here's the wisdom from God. Subdue it. Master it. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Lord asked Cain, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, and is, it is eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Man, we, we get that. We know that self-discipline, choosing, deciding against ourselves is so often the path to freedom, the, the route away from temptation. But that's so hard sometimes, and it's so countercultural. We want to take a pill. We want to talk to somebody. We want someone else or some other factor to come along and make it easier for us. But so many times, it just comes down to God's wisdom to Cain. Subdue it and be its master. Subdue it and be its master. 
The Bible makes it clear. In the face of temptation, God will indeed never give you more than you can handle. When it comes to temptation, God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle or, or in some unique way that is inescapable. God is faithful, and we can believe in this. God is faithful to always provide a way for you to escape, a way for you to be free, a way for you to honor Him. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It's not easy. Cain failed. If you read on in Genesis 4, Cain failed. He went on to kill his brother Abel. He did not subdue it. He did not master it. It is not easy all the time. But every time, look for it. There is a way out. There is a way out every single time. Indeed, as Robert Tepper says, we are not indestructible. But we should never give in to the hands of fate. Some things are indeed worth fighting for even when there's no easy way out. So, returning, returning to our, our original uh, line of inquiry, what is the problem? What is the problem with telling someone that when their world has absolutely fallen apart, that God will never give them more than they can handle? What's the problem here? At, at root, what is the problem with in that terrible, difficult moment, you've got this friend just crying in front of you, their, 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 their world is falling to pieces, their life is just in shambles. What is wrong with us opening our mouth and saying, hey, God will never give you more than you can handle? What's the problem with this? Well, besides it being unbiblical and untrue and dumb, it's ultimately unhelpful and actually kind of dangerous because it often causes more pain, more frustration, and more problems than already existed. It actually heaps onto them pain and frustration and problems. As Mitch Case states in his excellent article called, God Will Give You More Than You Can Handle, he says, there are at least two errors in the unbiblical notion of God will never give you more than you can handle. First, it plays into the cultural value or the cultural, cultural virtue of fairness. Second, it points the sufferer inward instead of Godward. So Mitch Case is pointing out two problems here uh, that come from that whole thought process of God will never give you more than you can handle. First, it plays into the cultural virtue of fairness. And secondly, it points the sufferer inward instead of Godward. So let's unpack that a little bit. First, the error of fairness. And secondly, the error of looking inward instead of Godward. So first, the error of fairness presents several problematic issues. The first problem here with the error of fairness, it suggests that God is the one dishing out the pain, the suffering, and the difficulty onto our heads and into our lives. That it's God actively choosing to send these things into our lives. Now, to be clear, there are times when God causes pain. There, is time, there are times when God causes pain in order to correct us, even to punish us sometimes. I mean, read the Old Testament. This was pretty common throughout the Old Testament. People wandered off into idolatry. They broke the commandments. They, they uh, adulterated themselves uh, in worship of other gods and um, intermingling with other, other people that God said don't have anything to do with. So they God comes and He punishes them. He sends pain. He sends pestilence into their lives to punish and correct them. But most often, especially on this side of the cross, on this side of Christ's resurrection in this age of grace, God, more often than not, is not causing the pain, but He is allowing it to come. He allows this naturally occurring difficulty, this naturally occurring pain to come into our lives in order to grow us, to direct us, to strengthen us, or to use that biblical word, to prune us to prune us for greater fruitfulness. So the first problem here with the error of fairness is that it suggests that God is the one dishing out the pain and the difficulty. The second problem we find here with this error of fairness is that ideas of fairness imply that God is doing what He's doing, that first He's, he, he's dishing it out into our lives, but He's doing it based on our particular uh, carrying capacity for hardship. 
that each and every one of us have a certain load limit when it comes to pain, suffering, and difficulty. And so God is uh, in his, this idea of fairness. He's doing it based on our particular carrying capacity. So this, this fairness and carrying capacity issue is what makes reading Job then so troubling and so challenging. This is why Job at root is so hard to understand in the sense that we just scratch our head and say, why? Why? This story makes no sense. And I think it's because this idea that this subconscious idea of fairness, it puts God in this untenable position. He's the one dishing it out and he's doing it based on our particular carrying capacity when it comes to suffering and hardship. Now the third problem of the in the error of fairness is that it actually ignores God's merciful unfairness. That God, if anything, is unfair to us. God is actually in the habit of not giving us the pain and the suffering we deserve because of our sin. <laughs> Think about it. God is the one who is holding back His hand, holding back the pain, the suffering, and the difficulty because of our sin. He's giving us what we don't deserve. He's not giving us the pain. He's not giving us the suffering. He's giving us grace and acceptance and forgiveness instead. Instead of death, we get life. Instead of punishment, we get grace. God is long-suffering with us. God is gracious. He is abounding in love. He is eager to show His kindness to us, eager to show His kindness to all people. He allows the sunshine and the rain to fall on everybody. Guys, the suffering, the pain, the difficulty, the happiness, the joy, the, the fruitfulness, it, it's, it's just a common grace that's given to all mankind. It, the sunshine and the rain, it falls on the just and the unjust, on the good and the evil. Look at Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about this. Look at verse 43 through 45 in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? I think I read one verse too far there, but you get the gist. In our minds, we often think that there's this, th these two categories. There's good and evil. There's righteous and unjust. And that God treats one differently than the other. But um, here Jesus says, hey, your job is to love all people. No, don't love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your enemies. Do all goodness to all. Pray for those who persecute you. Because when you do, you actually are acting like God's true children. Because God, He sends sunlight on everybody. Good and evil. He sends goodness into everybody's life. And likewise, pain and suffering comes into everybody's life. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So the difference is in our response, not in our experience. And that's key. The difference, what, what identifies children of God is not that they don't face difficulty. It's that they love through it. That they are faithful and obedient to God. That they love their enemies. They, they pray for their persecutors. They respond differently in the face of persecution, of suffering, of pain, and of difficulty. So, the first error we came across in saying, God will never give you more than you can handle is the error of fairness. The second error that Mitch Chase points out is, uh, it causes us to look inward instead of Godward, and it presents its own batch of problems. So there's a couple problems here, too, that when we hear, God will never give you more than you can handle, we think, oh, I better get this right. I better dig deep. It causes us to look inward instead of looking toward God. So the first problem here, the first problem with looking inward is that it leads us to believe that we have what it takes that you and me, we have, in, inherently, we have what it takes. It persuades me that my ability to survive and to thrive is essentially rooted in my own strength, in my own endurance. It reinforces this foolish sense of self-reliance that I carry around with me. It taps into that foolish sense of self-reliance that, that is so indoctrinated into us. But guys, we do not have what it takes. The second problem here with looking inward is that it easily distracts us from the true source of our strength and our hope 
And that is God. This is why we call God our, both our creator and our sustainer. He's the one who gives us life, but He's the one that helps us keep on living, keep on surviving and, and thriving. God is our creator and our sustainer. He is the true source of our strength. And this error of looking inward can often so easily distract us from that reality. Over and over again, the Bible points us intentionally away from ourselves, away from trusting in our own abilities, and pointing our attention toward God, encouraging us to trust in the Lord and not in your own ability. Trust in the Lord and not in your own ability. We can look through this. Let's survey Scripture real quick. Psalm 46. Psalm 46, listen to the psalmist as he, as he sings out to God in verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help when? In times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. So here the psalmist says, I'm not going to worry about this stuff. I'm not going to be afraid in the face of these things. Not because I believe God is fair. Not, believe, not because I think that I've got what it takes to get through. It's because I believe this. God is my refuge. God is my strength. And He is always ready to help in times of trouble. So I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid um, when earthquakes come, when the mountains crumble into the sea. So go on, oceans. Go ahead, roar and foam. And mountains, go ahead and tremble as the waters surge. I will not fear because I trust in the Lord. He is my refuge and my strength. Now flip on over to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. This is one of the, the Psalms of Ascent. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from the mountains? No, my help comes from the Lord. Why? He made heaven and earth. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Looking to the Lord causes us to look to the one who made the heavens and the earth. He is our creator and he then is our sustainer as well. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you ever, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I love this passage. It says, even the young people, even youths will become weak and tired. The young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll be able to persevere because they're leaning heavily into God. They're leaning into His strength, trusting in Him, placing, uh, stepping aside from their fear and saying, God, I believe that regardless of what happens, You will sustain me. You will get me through. One last passage here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hear what Paul says to the believers in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Paul is giving thanks to God here. I, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts He has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through Him, God has enriched your church in every way with, with all your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, He will keep you strong. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for He is faithful. He is faithful to do what He says and He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's just a real basic survey of, uh, of the attitude of Scripture from Genesis to, uh, or from the Psalms all the way forward through Isaiah and into the New Testament. We never find this, this like misguided sense of self-reliance. So we've got to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps. Instead, it says, trust in the Lord. 
Do not fear. Trust in the Lord, for He is our source of strength. He is our rock and our fortress. Mitch Chase, as he ends his article, God will give you more than you can handle. God will give, God will give you more than you can handle. He finishes up by saying this. When our strength is failing under crushing burdens, the answer is not within. Let me say that again. When our strength is failing under crushing burdens, the answer is not within. The power comes from Him to those who wait on Him. The power comes from Him to those who wait on Him. He goes on to say, Trials come in all shapes and sizes, but they don't come to show how much we can take or how we have it all together. Overwhelming suffering will come our way because we live in a broken world with broken people. And when it comes, let's be clear ahead of time that we do not have what it takes. God will give us more than we can handle, but not more than He can handle. Let's be clear ahead of time. I'll read this again. Let me be, let's be clear ahead of time that we do not have what it takes. God will give us more than we can handle, but not more than He can. So know this, my friends. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. It's okay to need help from God. It's okay to need help from a friend. It's okay for your faith to be a crutch. It's okay for your faith to be a crutch, especially when we're crippled. Crippled by sorrow, by fear, by anxiety, by confusion, by depression, and by despair. Just this week, another pastor I know took his own life. He had been suffering silently with crushing depression for who knows how long. And as a result, he left behind his wife and his four children. It breaks my heart that Darren didn't feel like he could be vulnerable. That he could reach out and, and, and be an emotional wreck sometimes. We all need to be an emotional wreck sometimes. And it breaks my heart that Darren could, didn't feel like he was free to be an emotional wreck with God, with his wife, and with his closest friends. You see, life in the modern world, it can be incredibly isolating and lonely. And being a pastor, being a pastor can be the loneliest place of all. Because you're boxed in by all these expectations, all these expectations from ourselves and from others, and all the while having very few close friends. Ministry leaders are always called upon, called upon to support and to nurture others, called upon to to ride to the rescue, to bring encouragement and hope in the midst of crisis. But when the crisis is inside the pastor's life, it's often invisible. The truth is, a lot of pastors are not okay. Many of us pastors are, 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 are walking wounded. This is why I believe that us pastors, we have to do a better job. A better job of setting a good example in life, in faith, in accessibility, in honesty, and in weakness. We don't have what it takes. And our churches, our churches must do a better job of expecting vulnerability from our pastors. Expecting vulnerability from our pastors and then providing resources for their mental and their spiritual health. And I don't just mean counseling. I don't just mean therapy. I mean things like intentional healing and restorative time away, prayer, friendship, basic things like that. These are the things that are so often missing in your pastor's life. And these are the things that your pastor needs. Pastors are human. And what do I know about humans? Us humans, we don't have what it takes. God will give us all more than we can handle. So, in the light of that, May we learn to lean on Him, to not fear, and to root ourselves in Him. He is our strength. He is our rock and our fortress. Let's lean on Him. May we trust in Him. May we hold fast as our strength gives way, because it will. And at the end of the day, may we find that Robert Tepper was right when he says, There is no easy way out. 
and there's no shortcut home. There's no easy way out. But in God's mercy, giving in can't be wrong. I pray that we would learn that lesson today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we lift our hearts. We lift our, our hopes, our fears, our frailty, our misguided sense of our own, abil our own ability and our own, um, I don't know, just our own ability to, to, to have what it takes to get through on our own to impress you with how much we could endure. But God, when we look to Scripture, we find that the answer is found in, in, in giving up and giving in to you, to, to trust in you, to, to, to not fear and to just cling to you, to hold fast to our faith, to trust that even as the winds blow and as things fall apart and as the rain falls, that we're safe with you. That we will be overwhelmed sometimes, that none of this, nothing in this world will overwhelm you. That, our, that, that, that we are safe in your hand. So God, I pray that we had learned the lesson of Scripture. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak into our hearts, but I pray that we would also learn to let go. That we would stop feeling like we have to be strong, that we have to have it all together. That if we're a Christian and we have strong faith, that, that um, we never freak out. That we never feel uh, just overwhelmed and uh, blown over by what's happening in our lives. God, I pray that Christians would be the most honest and the most accessible, the most willing to be vulnerable with each other. That says, I, I trust in God and I know He's good, but none of this makes sense. But I'm going to hold fast to my faith, knowing that in, in retrospect, things will make a lot more uh, sense. There will be clarity to come, but right now, everything's a mess and I don't know why. I need help. I need help. God, we thank you for the picture that Jesus painted for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. That God incarnate, God, you in the flesh, came to live with us and suffered. Jesus faced things that felt overwhelming as well. I think about the Garden of Gethsemane as he cries out to you. He says, God, I can't, I don't know if I can do this. Will you take this cup from me? But your will superseded his desire to escape that he clung to faith in you, and that uh, that's what got him through, kept him on course, aligned with his mission, achieving the outcomes you had led, laid before him, set before him. God, I pray that the same thing would happen for us, that we'd be honest about the, the, how we're feeling and how much um, uh, is happening and how little we think we can endure. I pray that we would lean to you and that we would come back to that place and say, God, I trust in you. I trust that you're good and may your will be done, not my own. God, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid. I pray that we would have a sense of inner peace and resolve in our hearts that says, God is good. He's my creator, my sustainer, and he will get me through. Whether in this life or in eternity, I'm safe. I'm safe. So God, I pray that we would learn the wisdom of Scripture. Listen closely to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Look at Jesus' life and let that inform our approach and our attitude toward you. God, we don't have what it takes, and you knew that. You know that. None of this surprises you. God, I pray that our, our response to difficulty, to suffering, to pain, it would, be, uh, it would honor you. That we, when it comes, we would uh, do what we can, but ultimately we'd just trust in you. God, I pray for my friends who are suffering silently. I pray for my friends who are walking wounded. I pray that uh, going forward, they would let down their guard, that they, they would let people come close because so many times you do your healing, restorative work through people. You send people into our lives to speak your word and your speaker comfort. So I pray that you would. God, I know there's people listening today that feel like they, they've been in hiding they can't let anybody come close. They can't let anybody see what's actually going on in their life. But I pray that they'd be delivered from that thinking. That they would allow uh, trusted friends to come close. I pray that they would allow the Holy Spirit to come close. And I pray that it would all start by them accepting, embracing the truth. That they don't have what it takes. That stuff's going to come that's going to be more than they can handle. And that's okay. That's, what it's, that's part of being human. And that's where you do some of your best work. So I pray that you would. I pray this for people who've followed after Jesus. I pray for people who've never followed Jesus. I pray this, this, would, this would set up that turning point where they'd realize your goodness and realize what you've done for them through Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would all um, be healed and that we'd all move closer to you through faith in Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right, uh, let's see.
what do we got here? Uh, care groups. Uh, this week, you'll be getting the care groups weekly roundup once again. And uh, there should be some information about upcoming opportunities and um, just uh, ways to get involved. As things open up again, we're going to start looking at uh, seeing our care groups start to uh, feel free to meet in person at the park or at the church or in homes and whatever. Uh, just playing it safe, playing it within the numbers. Um, but we'd love to see us start getting back to some 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 of these normal rhythms as far as in-person stuff. Um, with the 25-person limit, that makes in-person worship gatherings on Sunday morning difficult. However, we are working at uh, working toward hopefully this next Sunday having something put together with some music and some uh, uh, some other elements to share with you. Maybe not on the podcast. We may actually have to start a Facebook Live or a YouTube channel, but try to have some video content for you to kind of feel like you're joining with us together in worship. And as that number increases, the, the numbers uh, of people that we can have together in our facility, uh, we're going to explore different options there. We'll probably have different meeting times and stuff so that we can uh, accommodate people safely with uh, social distancing in place. But we're eager uh, to get back together to see each other because the gathering of the church is an important function uh, in our life together. And so we want to be uh, faithful in that. We want to be courageous in that. But we also want to be smart. So uh, just pay attention to that as the weekly roundup comes out. Uh, let's pray together as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And now, may the grace and peace of our risen Lord Jesus Christ be with you.